0: Pastor Tim is uh out in the woods. Not hiding. Well, I guess he is hiding from those uh those four-legged beasts out there and uh I understand Jonah said he did get a buck yesterday. So, hey, you know what? I'm sure we'll probably hear about that um, within the <laughs> next couple of weeks, which is great. So, uh so I will be continuing in the series this morning in uh, Genesis chapter 15, but before we step into that passage, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Our Father, it truly is a, a wonderful and amazing, incredible thing how we can worship you with a with purity of heart and spirit and soul and being. And Lord, this morning we are gathered together here to put you on display. And so my prayer right now, here in this moment, is that I would be hid behind your words, that you would be preeminent in everything that is said in these next few moments. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts as we're gathered together here would be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer and our coming Lord. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, one of my all-time favorite movies is The Wizard of Oz. Anybody else? It's one of my all-time favorite movies. And I like it especially as an adult because you, me, and Dorothy have a lot in common. We all know what it's like to find ourselves in a distant land surrounded by the heartless, the spineless, and the brainless. (laughs) Don't look around. But we do find ourselves surrounded in a unique world, surrounded by unique individuals and people. Although our path in life isn't paved with yellow bricks, as it was for Dorothy, we still hope that the faith walk that we each find ourselves on in this life is going to lead us to some place of significance, some place of, of meaning, and then finally home. If you recall the story of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, you know, each of the characters comes to the wizard with a need. Dorothy is seeking a way home, back to Kansas. Kansas. The scarecrow wants what? He wants wisdom. The tin man desires a heart. And the lion needs courage. The Wizard of Oz, they've heard, could grant all four, and so what they do is they make their way to the wizard. But on their way, they encounter a variety of difficulties. They encounter a dark, scary forest with trees that talk. A a field of of beautiful flowers that aren't really what they appear to be. And once they get to the Wizard of Oz, the wizard's response to Dorothy and her three friends is, is really not what they expected or what they had really hoped. The wizard tells them, he says, Bring me the witch's broom, and I'll help you. And it was really an empty promise, if you know the story. Because when Dorothy and her three friends risk their lives and return with the witch's broom, they discover the wizard is of no real help. He can put on a great light show, but he has very little substance. And Dorothy and her three friends on their journey are once again, I think, filled with fear, anxiety, and uncertainty as to what they are to do next. That's the walk, the journey that they found themselves on. We're in this sermon series called Faith Walk. It's been a great series. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we all find ourselves on a unique faith walk ourselves. A journey that has its twists and a journey that has its turns and its spiritual highs and its spiritual lows. It has its ups and it has its downs, its moments of great spiritual victories and sadly, Sadly, some equally great spiritual failures on this journey. And you know, friends, it's during those times of failure, of discouragement and difficulty that it's often hard to make sense of our faith walk as we wonder where and what God is doing. Do you know what I'm talking about? We go, God, where are you? What are you doing? I'm not hearing from you. You've promised that. My life circumstances don't seem to reflect the reality or the fact that that you're God. What's going on? I'm working hard on this. I'm walking by faith. Well, Abraham, or Abram, was at one of those difficult, low times on his faith walk into the unknown, and and the unknown for him produced fear and anxiety and uncertainty. Not much different than many of us along our faith walk. Genesis chapter 15 is a passage that addresses several important truths that we need to embrace to keep us moving confidently forward in the right direction on our faith walk when we encounter those strange people along the ways or those dark, scary forests or things that don't really appear to be what they might appear to be on the surface. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and one of our ushers will loan you one. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Notice verse 1 right away. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And you might ask, after what things? After what things? You know, if you've been with us for the past number of weeks, you remember a lot has happened in in Abram's life. Since God first made his promise to him back in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 13. First was the promise of a land that would be his, and second, descendants to inhabit that land. That was the promise that that God had given to him back in Genesis chapter 12 and 13. An heir that that would be born from from Abram and Sarah, and this heir would produce a great nation, and the entire world would be blessed through this heir and and a land to possess. And here Abram is still... The fulfillment of those promises have not become a reality yet. And so, back in Genesis chapter 12, Abram left his country. He left his homeland and he caravanned to Cana as God told him to do so. Then because of a famine in the land, Abram makes this unwise decision and he heads to Egypt, which wasn't really what he should have done. Because of that unwise decision, he found himself in a place where he then had to try and control his circumstances, control the circumstances because he was walking in a way that God had not directed him to walk. He had to control the circumstances by telling Pharaoh a lie that his wife was his sister, which resulted in some pretty ugly plagues, if you remember, for Pharaoh and his family. Well, once Abram got back on track, and he did get back on track, he headed to the land that God had promised him, and then Lot, if you remember, his nephew, when given the opportunity to choose between large parcels of land, whether the one that seemed to be just so incredibly beautiful and and rich, or a piece of land that didn't seem to be as good, Lot, his nephew, chooses that prime piece of real estate. And Lot begins to settle in, enjoying that prime piece of real estate. But then, all of a sudden, he's taken captive by some kings in the land. And Abram goes to war to rescue his nephew at that point in time. And all along the way, I think Abram is trying to walk by faith as best he knew. And be obedient to what God had revealed to him in the midst of some real uncertainty and adversity. And when we get to Genesis chapter 15, it had been about 8 to 10 years. Okay? 8 to 10 years and still no real estate that he could call his own. No child of his own. And Abram and Sarah were not getting any younger at this point, and so you can only begin to imagine the uncertainty, the confusion, the questions that were plaguing Abram at this point in time in his life. Questions of uncertainty that at times plague us as we're walking, trying to walk by faith. And so here's the question. How do we continue to move forward on our faith walk in the midst of uncertainty, confusion, and really unfulfilled promises. That's the question that we want to address this morning. Moving forward in the midst of of confusion and uncertainty and questions and unfulfilled promises. Anybody there? Yeah, I guess. I would think so. I've been there. I'm sure I will be there also at some point in time. Well, it's during those times of on our faith walk when, when we're not hearing from God and we're not seeing Him actively move and working in us or around us and we're going through those difficult times that we must first trust God. Trust God and His Word even under adversity or in times of uncertainty. look at verses 1 through 6 and it says that after these things the word of the lord came to abram in a vision fear not abram i am your shield your reward shall be very great but abram said o lord god what will i what will you give me for i continue childless unfulfilled promises And an heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And and Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven. And number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then verse 6. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness as righteousness the very first thing god addresses when he comes to abram in the midst of uncertainty is his fear now this is not a fear that comes when someone has disobeyed a holy god and and you're fearful of the consequences of your sin i think this was a fear of the unknown for abram a fear of the uncertain, or really the fear of the unfulfilled promises that, that God had made to him. Is God really going to come through? Are you in a place today, this morning, this very moment, when you're afraid, you're fearful? Not because of the consequences of sin in your life, but because of the unfulfilled promises. And God doesn't seem to be coming through for you. Maybe because you're not hearing from God or or maybe not seeing God's promises come through like you thought his promises would. Or maybe you've done something that you believe will prevent God from blessing you, you or your family. Are you afraid that the trial or the difficulty that you're in right now will not turn out okay? Are you afraid that maybe the bold step of faith that you've taken to follow Jesus Christ may not turn out the way that you had hoped or expected? It may end in disaster. Are you afraid or fearful that a loved one will never, ever be saved? Are you afraid that if you abandon your plans, your plans, your objectives, if you abandon those and fully surrender your heart to God, that life will maybe be less than expected? Are you afraid this morning? Are you afraid of, and you fill in the blank? Because what I read in God's word is that the Lord comes to Abram as he comes to us. And he says, fear not. Fear not. And so the question is, are you in a hard place today? Are you in a lonely place? A painful place, a place of sacrificial service this morning. And and you're afraid and uncertain of the future. Are you afraid? If that's you today, then then you need to recognize God's presence, His protection, and His provision all along the way on your faith walk. Because when you're in that fearful place, God is saying, fear not. Fear not. And God just doesn't say those words to Abram. He doesn't just say those words to us, and then we walk away going, okay, God, you said fear not. But it's interesting how God just works with Abram and how God works with us in the midst of the fearful, lonely, uncertain times In our life. Verse 1 again. After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not. Abram. I am your shield. He says. Your reward is going to be very great. Not just great. It's going to be very great. And what is so incredible here. And what God is saying. Is that. That the one that took that first step was God himself to Abram. It was God that took that first step to him to speak personally to him in the midst of his fear. And it was not in this thunderous, authoritative judge tone of voice as a lawgiver. But I really believe that God came to Abram in this gentle shepherd's voice, who who knew that Abram was at a time when he needed to hear the gentle, calming voice, the God of the universe, that reassuring voice of his presence in the midst of his faith walk. Now, let me just sort of pause here and, and, and state that God doesn't usually come to us in visions as he did with Abram. But God does come to us with his word. Now, we need to be very careful when it comes to attributing to God any communication with us outside of his written word. We need to be careful. You go, Kent, what are you talking about? You know, it it was the apostle Peter himself the companion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that when Peter described this thrilling, mind-blowing experience that he had with Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, when in this booming voice, God says from heaven, this is my beloved Son. It's interesting that Peter had that experience, that vision of the glory of Jesus Christ on that mountain. And what's interesting... What's very interesting, that Peter stated emphatically that as thrilling as that supernatural experience had been, that vision of Jesus in his glory said that the written word of God held more certainty for him than that vision. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, begin at verse 16. Notice, Peter says there, as he writes, he says, "...for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, of his glory." For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Peter says, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. Okay, you with me? But notice verse 19. And we have something, Peter says, What's it say next? More sure, the prophetic word, the word of God, to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is saying, if either you or I have a vision or a dream that we think is from God, we need to ask God to confirm it through his written word, the Bible. Are you with me on that? There's a lot of confusion today when people say they had a vision, they had a dream, and it could simply be that you ate too much pizza the night before. And you're going, whoa, what was that all about? What that was all about was you shouldn't have had that triple pepperoni pizza with mushrooms and anchovies on it. What Peter's saying is, hey folks, be very careful. Dreams and visions can be very subjective. Am I here to say that God can't communicate to us in dreams or visions? No. But we need to always be very careful and we always need it to run it through the grid of God's Word in every way. It's through God's Word. It is through the presence of God the Holy Spirit in our lives that we will experience His awesome, incredible presence, His protection, and His provision. I remember a number of, <clears throat> excuse me, of years ago in my own life, in the midst of a very uncertain time in my life in ministry, it was a number of years ago. I had many unanswered questions. I was fearful of the future. I was in desperate need of a word from God. I was in desperate need To hear from God. I was in desperate need of His companionship. I was in a fearful, desperate place. Wondering, God, are you there and are you going to come through? It was through an extended time alone with Him and His Word. On a personal retreat that I experienced in a new way His presence. And became convinced of His protection. And experienced His promise future provision that's what God is all about in the midst of our uncertainty and fear and anxiety and questions and doubts God is saying I'm there call to me and I will answer I'm there God also knew Abraham needed to hear that he would also be his shield his protector he says I am your what? shield he says to Abram Now, again, realize, Abram just returned from the battlefield after having an encounter with Melchizedek. And I think Abram knew what a shield was. He was a warrior. And how he may have owed his own life to the strength of that shield. God was saying to Abram that, that he would be his source of protection on his faith walk into the future. God says, don't fear. I am your shield. God had protected Abram from Pharaoh, if you remember. God protected Abram from the four kings and gave him victory. And God was going to continue to protect Abram as God would work out his purpose in and through Abram's life. What a message of hope for Abram, for us as well. You know, even after God came to Abram, interesting, if... You picked up on it. Abram still had questions. And God welcomes our questions. When they're questions that are asked from a, a genuineness of heart and, and his desire to, to really pursue the answers to those questions, God welcomes those. He's not afraid of our questions. He wants us to come with our questions and our concerns to him. And for Abram, they were questions of a son which he and Sarah still didn't have. Unfulfilled promises. Unfulfilled promises and the nation that would come from that sun. And so God takes Abram out into the night and he has him look up into the sky and he challenges him to count the stars if he could. Interesting, if you remember back in Genesis chapter 12, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 13, God challenged Abram to not count the stars, but what? Count the dust of the earth. I find it fascinating from, from the lowest depths to the highest of heavens, God is saying, hey man, Trust me, I'm all over this. I'm all over this. And it was a great object lesson, a sign for Abram, which I think showed the the magnitude of of God's promise and his provision. You know, I think God was reminding Abram at this point in time, during this very difficult, challenging time in his life, that, that if God can create the heavens with such beauty and order, Surely he'd have no problem fulfilling what he promised when he said to Abram and Sarah that that they would have a son of their own. And God was saying to Abram, will you trust me on this one? Will you trust me on this one? God is saying to us, on our faith walk, wherever we find ourselves, he says, will you trust me? Will you put your confidence in me? Will you put your hope in me? Because no matter what the uncertainty or adversity is in your life right now, or what it may be in the future, God is saying to you right now, I am your shield. Fear not. Trust me. Will you trust me? And you see, friends, when you fully surrender your will and your ways to God and you place your complete faith, trust, and confidence in who he is and what he can do as the God of the universe, God is saying, I will do an amazing thing in your heart and your life when you trust me. And life takes on an entirely new perspective as it did for Abram as his trust and belief in God moved to a brand new level of life. And it was in verse 6 where it says, And he, Abram, what believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness you know interesting three times in the new testament the writers refer to this point in abram's life romans chapter 4 galatians chapter 3 and james chapter 2 verse 23 where in james 2:23 it says abram believed god it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of god a friend of god Each reference had to do with Abram's genuine, authentic faith as it moved to a significant new level of understanding as he surrendered his will to God's will and God's purposes. I think that Abram was now at a point of being fully persuaded, fully convinced that God had the power to do what he promised. Up to this point, there was a great deal of uncertainty in Abram's life. It had been a number of years since he'd heard from God. Abram's knowledge of Yahweh, of the Lord, was transformed from a a condition of, of simple external obedience to words and commands to leave your country, move here and move there, to an internal heart change of genuine, authentic trust in God. My question to you today is, Have you put your complete trust and faith in the person of Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not talking about merely knowing about Jesus. We have a lot of people in this world who know a lot about Jesus, but they don't know him personally. In the same way, we have a lot of people who know a lot about God, but they may not necessarily really know God in a personal, intimate way. I'm not talking about believing that maybe your righteousness or your good works will allow you to have a right standing before God. Attending church, reading your Bible, doing good things to earn God's favor. I'm not talking about those external things, although important, but if that is the basis and the foundation of your relationship with God, then you've missed it. Because it is not a checklist of of do's and don'ts. It is about a relationship with a God of the universe where you have put your faith and trust in him and then you are counted as righteous and you become a friend of God. That's what it's all about. That was what Abram experienced as his faith transitioned from from this mere simple obedience to, yeah, I'm going to leave because I heard this voice from heaven tell me to leave. But now he had this encounter with the God of the universe. How incredible that is. And you ask yourself, and you may ask me, Kent, what are you talking about? What do you mean to completely entrust my life to Jesus Christ? Let me put it this way. I think it's like the man that was accused of a of a very serious crime. He was innocent, but he wasn't skilled enough to plead his case before a judge and a jury. And, and so he got the very best lawyer that he could to represent him before that judge and that jury. And, and because that man entrusted His case, because he entrusted his life to that trained lawyer, he was found innocent by that judge and jury. What does it mean to entrust your life into the hands of Jesus Christ? There was a man that discovered he had a cancerous tumor on his throat. And when he discovered that if this cancerous tumor was not removed, that he would probably die. And he said that I wish that I could have simply reached down into my throat and ripped that tumor out with my bare hands. But he said, I know I couldn't do that. And so what he did is he entrusted his life into the hands of a skilled surgeon who who because he entrusted his life in the hands of that skilled surgeon, the surgeon was able to remove that cancerous tumor, and the, life's, the, the man's life was spared, and he lived. If you know what it's like to entrust your life into the hands of a lawyer, to plead your case, because you can't yourself, you know what it's like to hand over your life into the care of Jesus Christ, to represent and plead your case before the Heavenly Father. If you know what it's like to entrust your life into the hands of a skilled surgeon who can save your life, you know what it's like to surrender your life to Jesus Christ who can save you for all eternity. And the question is, have you done that? Have you this morning as you sit there in this seat, in this place, say that I have entrusted my life into the hands and the care of Jesus Christ and I could be counted as righteous and a friend of God? Are you there this morning? And if you are, praise God. If not, you need to make a decision this morning. You need to make a decision to surrender your will and your ways to him. And when you do that, life will be different. It will be changed for all eternity. We need to move through the text here. But the second thing that we must do on our faith walk is we need to listen to God, follow his plans, and embrace his purposes. Listen to God, follow his plans, and embrace his purposes. Look at verses, beginning at verse 7 through 16. And he said to him, this is the Lord speaking, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And here's God reassuring Abram and and restating the promise that had been given back some some 8 to 10 years earlier. In verse 8, But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? A genuine, legitimate question. And God welcomes those. Well, he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon, and a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) No, that's not in there. It sounded like that would be appropriate. I don't know. Verse 10. And he brought him all these. and Now, this is kind of bizarre when you're reading this. Cut them in half and lay each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, notice, the Lord said, No for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. A reference to their time in Egypt as slaves. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Okay, a lot of things going on in there. But hold on to the the thought here about listening to God, following his plans, and embracing his purposes, okay? Now, even when we are walking with God, there are often doubts and questions along the way, as was true with Abram. When you consider what God was promising, Abram was asking in verse 8, he goes, Okay, O sovereign Lord, how can I know for sure that you're going to come through on these promises? Abram is known for his great faith, okay? He's called the father of the faithful, a friend of God. So it makes me feel, I think, a little bit better to see that Abram's faith was certainly not perfect. Sometimes Abram was afraid, and sometimes he had doubt mixed in with his faith, and sometimes he even fell back into doing his own thing, as we'll see next week in the next chapter. And, you know, when I think about that, it describes my faith at times and probably describes yours and so god does something pretty incredible for abram here to alleviate abram's fear and anxiety and to increase abram's confidence in his faith the lord said to abram in verse 9 look at there it says bring me a heifer a goat a ram each three years old along with a dove and young pigeons okay so here's abram he brought all these animals to god cuts them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other and you go what is going on here okay, cut a bunch of animals in half. What's the purpose behind that? How is that going to increase Abram's faith? It all sounds weird to us, but believe it or not, God was giving Abram a very direct answer to his question of doubt. The ceremony was familiar to Abram. It was the way in which men made legal contracts in, in that part of the world in the ancient Near East kind of a bloody, gory thing. I just kind of prefer, you know, signing my name on the bottom of a contract, but this is how they did it in the ancient Near East. When men wanted to make a binding agreement, okay, the two parties would, would slaughter some livestock, cut them in two, lay the halves across from each other. Then they would each state the responsibilities or the rights of the agreement. And after that... They would join hands and they would then walk in between the carcasses together after things have been agreed to and decided upon. Now, this ceremony wasn't for some little minor transactions. It was a sacred covenant. It was a life and death oath that was being made here. And the symbolism of this had two very important meanings. First, it symbolized unity. You know, with unity like we're closer than the right and the left side of this animal in this agreement. It was an idea like, man, if you can't trust family, then who can you trust? Uh, But second, it showed the severity of the oath that if this oath, if this promise, if this agreement, if this covenant is broken, then the statement is, may I be torn in two just as these animals were torn in two. Kind of like cross my heart, hope to die, what? Stick a needle in my eye kind of a deal, which is a bizarre thing to think about. But it kind of has the idea that, you know what? If I do not fulfill my side of this agreement, then may it be to me as was done to these animals. Okay? That's what was going on here. You know, now, God could have simply told Abram, he says, Okay, man, my word never fails. My place is to be God. Your job is to believe what I tell you. Go your way. Uh Uh-uh. Instead, God entered into a ceremony that Abram was familiar with and would strengthen his faith. But there's more. There's a whole lot more. And what happens next is, is really the most important part of God working with Abram, starting in verse 12. We see that Abram waited near these animal carcasses and... For several hours, in fact, he had to shoo away the buzzards that were circling around. And and then finally, just as the sun had set beneath the horizon, Abram fell asleep. The Hebrew word used here refers to a deep sleep. It's the same word that was used when God put Adam to sleep and took a rib from his side to create Eve. It was a deep sleep. And in that sleep, in that very deep sleep, God came to Abram in a dream and once again promised him an heir that would become a great nation and a land that they would possess, but not without some challenges. 400 years in Egypt as slaves. And Abram, it appears, wakes up from this dream, the sun had set, then in a dramatic climax to all that had, he had heard and experienced, God comes to him in verses 17 and 18, notice there, that when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The third thing that we must do when we're on our faith walk and we have moments of uncertainty or doubt is to remember to embrace God's amazing promises. Interesting is I've thought about this and prayed over this that here was Abram with eyes wide open Saw this smoking fire pot and flaming torch pass between the sacrificed animals. And Abram saw this as a representation of God himself. And often as you read through the Old Testament, you'll, you'll discover that God also, God is represented in, in this fashion and in many instances as, as fire. But here was God represented in this smoking pot and this fiery torch going between these these two animals that was really designed for the two parties who were going to enter into this agreement together to do it together. But what Abram saw was that it was only God that walked through this between those two animals, the animals that were split in half. It was significant that God did not require Abram to commit himself to this covenant. That's what we would call an unconditional covenant, an unconditional promise. What this shows is that the covenant was, was totally in God's hands to fulfill. It did not depend in any way on Abram. It could not be made null and void by anything Abram might do or fail to do. The covenant, the promise depended on God and God alone. And the incredible reality here is that Abram did not enter into the contract, which meant that there was nothing that he could ever do or fail to do that would break this covenant or this promise. The fulfillment of this promise is dependent upon God and God alone. All that was required of Abram was for him to receive this promise, this covenant, and to live his life in the reality of what was promised. See, because God wants to participate in your life. He wants to participate in your life. He really does. And he wants to participate in every moment of your life. And what God has done in a promise to us is he's given to us his Holy Spirit. God himself, he's given to us his word. He's given to us his amazing promises that, that can calm our fears and give us hope and keep us moving in the, in the right direction. God is all about giving us promises. And he says, live in the reality of those promises. Promises like Psalm 34 verse 18 that we'll put up here on the screen. Promises that God is giving to you that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's His promise to you. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. That's His promise to you. Philippians 4, 19. And my God, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.28 And we know that God causes all things, when you put them all together, all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Hebrews 13.5 Never will I leave you. Never, never, never will I forsake you. In Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, He says, You will be saved. You will be counted as righteous and declared righteous God is saying to you and to me, you can trust me and my promises because I say so. Because God is saying, I am committed to you 100%. Can I know for sure that God has and will forgive me of my sin? Can I know for sure that I'm a child of His? Can I know for sure that that God has placed His Holy Spirit within me? Can I know for sure that He has promised to never leave me or forsake me? Can I know for sure that God has given me eternal life? You see, friends, your hope is secure because God has made a covenant with you, a promise to you, a new covenant to you. The sacrifice that God has made available to you was not made with pieces of birds and animals as with Abram, but the promise that God has made to you was the broken body and the shed blood of God's own dear Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. That was God's covenantal promise made to you that if you by faith believe what Jesus Christ has said and done that you will be declared righteous and a child of His. You see, friends, when you've entered into that relationship and God says, you're my friend. You're my friend. There is nothing you will ever do Nothing you will ever fail to do that will ever break his unconditional promise of love and provision for you. Nothing. Did you hear that? Nothing. Because the truth is, you didn't do anything to earn what God has given to you. And you can't do anything to lose it. That's what Abraham knew and how he lived his life. As we close the service this Morning. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Because it's here as we bring this to a, to a close to understand the impact of Genesis 15 verse 6. Where it says in Romans chapter 4 beginning at verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. If Abraham was declared righteous before God, if Abram was brought into a right relationship with the God of the universe by works, then he would have something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. There is so much here. But turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For you, by grace, have been saved... Through faith. This not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For we, by grace, have been saved through faith. It is not our own doing, it is the gift of God justified by faith, declared to be in a right standing with God by faith as you receive the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you live in the reality of that. It's a gift given to you as you merely accept and receive what God has for you to give you new life, to forgive sins, to give you the hope of heaven and eternal life with him. God is saying, trust me on this. Trust me, believe me, the guarantee is that I gave my son Jesus Christ on a cross some 2,000 years ago for you. Trust me, so that you could be counted as righteous. And the question once again is, are you in a fearful place? Are you in a tough place? Are you in a fearful place because your future is uncertain, your faith is Uncertain. Because you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to challenge you this morning as the worship team comes, as we close the service here, to give you an opportunity to surrender your life, your will, your plans, your objectives, everything about you to Jesus Christ so that you can be declared righteous and a friend of God. Because you can't work for it. God says it's a gift. You can't work for a gift because then that denies the very nature of a gift and it's something that's owed if you could work for it.